So we're going to talk about my life verse. And that's a very selfish thing for me to get to do because it is my favorite thing to talk about this verse. In fact, I, the passage, I've often told my kids, and Ashley has heard me say this too, that on my tombstone, this is what I want engraved. And if you can't, if you don't have the money, I was telling my daughter the other day, if you, if you don't have the money to do it, just put C-O-L-1. 10 and hopefully those passerbys as they kick the dirt you know around and look around well probably be in one of those things you know because the crypt because in LA we don't have that much ground left so wherever I am I just want this thing engraved I want people to know and so this is my lifer so it is a pleasure and an honor and the way it worked was your committee took a list of things that I normally teach on or that I'm studying new things and they selected this and I'm like, you guys, woohoo! I'm so excited. So it's just an exciting passage. It's Colossians 1, 9 through 14. And let me turn my timer on because I aim to please. And they, all the key people are right there ready to pull me down. You know, it's too. So they told me my cut time, and don't worry, girls, I'm on it. So even if we're in this, this session of the past, and don't I seem loud? Don't you want to turn me down? Who is it? Because I haven't even gotten excited yet. You know? So <laughs> you may not want to have me up this high. But um, anyway, um, so this passage is just very near and dear to my heart. And I'm sure that you have, it's a, it's a classic. It's a prayer of the Apostle Paul. I'm sure you've read it. I'm sure that your Bible teaching pastor has gone through Colossians at some point. And so we're going to look at this and it'll be revisiting it for many. But hopefully it'll have a freshness for you tonight as we look at it as ladies from that perspective and how God would want us to walk worthy with a life that pleases him. And so our plan is that for um, this evening and tomorrow morning, we'll be looking at that passage in Colossians 1, 9 through 14. And then your committee selected another one of my favorites, Psalm 119. And uh, Psalm 119 is my husband's all-time favorite, the whole... 176 verses, <laughs> which he has memorized. <laughs> so um, Psalm 119, but we'll be looking at 129 to 136 from the perspective of walking worthy with a life of ordering our steps to please the Lord. And then finally, we're going to conclude our time, if the Lord says the same, it doesn't come back for us before we get there, with Psalm 90. And we'll be talking about walking worthy by numbering our days. And our days are fleeting before us. And I look at these young, eager faces of so many of you, but you know, you're going to wake up and be old. And it's going to be, it's going to happen really quick, you know. So I used to think, wow, I can't believe I'm old. But it just, within the snap of a finger almost, it doesn't seem like it when you're going through the process, but you are. And one of the things that comes with old, and I'll announce these now, you, you know, people don't believe it. But at some point, now I'm, I'm almost on the other side of this, and for you that are looking very confused, just tap an older lady and they will let you know that you never want to leave home without it. Forget American Express. I mean, this is what's happening. When you get in the zone of hot flashes, don't you dare not have one in your purse. And so I've, I think I'm going past it, but I do get warm, especially when I get excited. So I just... Even though I don't have the flashes so much, I just keep them. And people just give them to me at conferences because they know I get warm. So this was a pretty one that somebody gave me a few weeks ago. And then this. Now this is when you want to go high tech. This is what you want, girls. This is what you want. And it's silent. In church, it's silent. 
I mean, you can actually be like, and then just, nobody even knows. It's so cool. So at some point tonight, you may see me whip out one of these. So I'm telling you now, I'm not trying to be cute. I just don't want to be sweating like a pig, okay? So that's the long and short of it. Okay, so we're going to jump right into God's word, get these little things out of the way. And, um, and so why don't we open in a word of prayer, and then we're going to turn, if you have your Bible, to Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14. And as I said, we'll do part of it tonight and part of it tomorrow. Now, I am a retired third grade teacher, so I know the look. Oh, there's another one. Woohoo! Okay, I know the look. It's in your eyes. It's in your body. I know when you're done, okay? So if you need to get up and walk around, you don't need my permission because you're grown, right? But if you want to get up, and if you're that type that just needs to get up because you know you're slumping in your seat and you're falling over, you definitely have my permission, okay? So I don't think it's rude. If you got to get up and do stuff, do it. Because if you fall over on the floor, that'd be a loud thump. Because we're, you know, so, and you're tired. Some of you are probably tired. You don't look tired, but some of you must be tired. You probably had a long day. So anyway, we're going to pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together. And then Colossians 1, 9 through 14, here we come. Okay. Lord, thank you for this conference. Thank you for all the ladies on the committee that worked so hard to pull it together. And just even the beauty of the room, Lord, the flowers and all of the attention to detail with the fabric pieces matching the name tags and just everything so coordinated and lovely. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that we can have a girly room that looks like a reception and we can just enjoy the beauty of your creation with the flowers and just the expertise and artistic um, talents that you've given the ladies. So thank you for that. Thank you for the men who served. Thank you for the delicious meal. And we're grateful, Father, to have the privilege and honor to get to share your word with these ladies and be encouraged by the truth of your word. We know that the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. Thank you, Father, for your word. In your name we pray, amen. So Colossians 1, um, I've already confessed that this is my passage, my life verse is 10, but the whole passage is just incredible and amazing. And what it really reminds us of is just what the Apostle Paul and others have done in Scripture is helped us to see an idea of living out the Christian life with some sort of metaphor. And so walking is one of the key ones that's used in Scripture. And I didn't give much of my own little personal testimony. Um, well, I actually, I didn't give any. Uh, Tara, Tara, yes, I don't want to say Tara because she's not you, you know, so I want to be able to get it right. But um, so I didn't give any kind of background, but sometimes when you, she did share about my husband and my kids and stuff like that. But sometimes when you hear someone speak, you want to hear just a little nugget like, who are you? Where did you come from? So we know I'm from California. I do just want to mention just a little snippet about my, my pastor dad. She mentioned that I was a PK, that, you know, I'm a preacher's kid. And I just had the most adorable, he went to be with the Lord two years ago, but the most incredible, amazing dad you ever want to meet. And so I always like to just mention something. My mom, too. I mean, they were just, my mom was, you've heard of I Love Lucy, right? She was, without a doubt, the African-American Lucille Ball. She didn't have the red hair, and she would be the Christian version. 
But other than that, I mean, not a whole lot of differences. I even remember her making the jelly in the kitchen with the, remember that one? But anyway, so she was a godly, wonderful mom too. Uh, but my dad was just, uh, he's the one that brought the Lord used to bring me to himself. And my dad went home to be with the Lord at 107. Yes, two years ago. And I have pictures of him right towards the end. He was sharp as a tack. I was telling the girls at my table that the last sermon I remember him preaching, he was 103, and it was Psalm 23. I remember it like yesterday, and I have a CD to prove it. And he just, I just couldn't say enough about him. And being raised in that home was just such an incredible honor and privilege. And he was a, an African-American man that went to seminary um, at a very conservative seminary very conservative. In fact, it's the same one that John MacArthur's dad went to. It wasn't too far apart that they went. But unfortunately, African-American men were not really, in those days, you know, you couldn't, you could be there, but you couldn't really eat in the cafeteria, and you could, you know, it's, it's not pretty. But I say all that to say that just he was a man who valued the Word of God, and he knew that that was the kind of education he wanted to get, and he instilled within us, as the kids, how important the Word of God was and how important it was to cut it straight and to get it right. And so that was how I was raised with him and with that kind of a commitment. And so he went through a lot of obstacles to get his training. But he got it and he was solid and he was just a wonderful man of God. And I remember when my husband got his um, third degree from Master's Seminary, um, his doctorate, and my dad was there. And I remember John MacArthur coming over and you know how everybody's like, has like, I don't know what you want, it's starstruck, you know, when you see John MacArthur leaning over and everything. And to hear him lean over to my dad and say, you have been an example and I, I'm grateful to know you. And, you know, it was just really sweet and precious. And so I just want you to know that that's like my little backdrop. So I always wanted, I, when, as a younger person, I used to say to my mom, I wish I had one of those testimonies where I could say, and I was addicted to this, and I did that. I mean, it sounds so, I was only like 18. I said, it just seems so boring. And she said, what you have to remember is, you were going straight to hell. So it didn't matter if you had that kind of testimony. You were headed, and she said, it's even worse, because when you're raised in that kind of godly home, somehow you sort of think you got it going on when you don't. And so she got me squared away on that, but I did think it was, it would be so dramatic to be able to say all these things. And she said, it's, it's really a blessing if you can say that you were still wretched and you were on your way to hell, but God rescued you by his grace. And so to have my own dad be the one to baptize me and to be the one with the two of them sharing, and you know, it was just amazing. Then I have this one um, sibling who was sort of my, um, I guess you would call her, my mentor, or she's a, my big sister, she's 12 years older than me, but she's physically challenged. And so she's always been in a wheelchair from birth. She was their first child. And when they picked her up and, and you know, you burp the baby and everything, a bone would break, starting at maybe a month and a half or two. And so between then and 12 years old, she had so many multitude of surgeries, osteogenesis imperfecto syndrome, rare disease, but and my sister has worn that so well. And now, you know, she shouldn't have lasted past 19, and then she wasn't supposed to, well, 12, and then 19, and so forth. But anyway, she's 12 years older than me, and she's got a lot of challenges right now. Um, she used to travel a lot with, with me when I would speak. She's not able to do that right now. But I mention her because she was, she was one that has just played a, a valuable and critical role in my life. In fact, I just got a text from her 10 minutes ago. 
praying for you, sis, you know, that it, it's just, it's so cool, you know, to have that. So anyway, cherish those relationships. And whether it was your dad or your mom or whether it was someone in church that inspired you and led you and helped you, don't discount those things. I think we need to value that and always acknowledge it. And so I just want to take a minute to just mention that. And of course, you know, my husband, so I was a PK and then I became a PW, not by choice. <laughs> And no, not prisoner of war. <laughs> Although sometimes, no, I'm just kidding. But um, that's pastor's wife, resident's wife because of the school, and professor's wife, so all the PWs. And, um, and so it's just been a joy. I didn't want to marry a pastor, because my dad was that type that jumped up in the middle of the night and went and took care of people. And you know, our church was relatively small, like 400 and something. And so he was able to visit the sick and shut in every Monday and Tuesday with his black book. And I was there like this high with him. And so, but, um, but being a PW, I learned. And one of my former pastor's wives gave me a book, High Call, High Privilege. And I learned with time what a joy and honor it is. And so your pastor's wife and all of your other pastor's wives on staff, I don't know how it all breaks down, but pray for them. Love them. It's not an easy, sometimes she probably does, she won't tell you, but probably does feel like a P-O-W, P -O -W. but um, she'll never say that to you because, you know, she won't say that. Might say it to me. No, I'm just kidding. She won't say it to anybody. Look at that godly face. She's not going to say it to anybody. Okay, we got to get to Colossians. So that's just like a little background um, that maybe didn't come out in, in our other part. So walking. Walking is, much is said about the importance of walking, not just in scripture, but just from a physical standpoint. According to the American Podiatric um, Association, the average American person takes 8,000 to 10,000 steps a day. Seems like a lot of steps. Now, I walk really fast, so I would have to double that. I walk fast, I talk fast, I do a lot of stuff fast at this point. Although, you know, things are probably going to start shutting down at some point soon. I don't know. But some of those steps are big ones. Some of them are little ones. And you might just say, just so you walk. Like my parents, they would walk about three miles every morning. And the thing was, they were walking. So it didn't matter if they walked slow or fast. But in the word of God, how you walk is critical. And that's what we learn in Colossians 1, 9 through 14. There is a way that God wants us to walk. And so we're in the physical world, just walk. Go fast, go slow, doesn't matter, just walk. Take weights with you, don't take weights. The point is just walk. But God tells us how we walk is significant and it's different. And that's because the Christian life is often described as walking. And so that's why it's so important. You also see it described as running in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, 26, that classical passage about um, the, how they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. And having gone through all these Olympics with my daughter, I see the perishable wreath, and I see what goes into getting that perishable wreath. But we run to get an imperishable wreath. And then there's Hebrews 12, 1 that talks about running, but there's a lot of passages that talk about walking, like Romans 8, 1, walk not after the flesh. 1 Corinthians 3, 3, walk not as men. 2 Corinthians 4.2, not in craftiness. So there's a lot of instruction about walking. Ephesians 4.1 tells us to walk worthy of our vocation. Um, 1 Thessalonians 2.12, walk worthy to God. So you get it, a lot about walking. Walking in scripture, and in this case, is uh, used to describe our outward visible expression 
of our Christian life. So it's our day-to-day -day conduct. It implies direction, and it also implies progress. And so walking is significant. When we think of the root word for worthy, and that's, it comes in handy being married to a Greek scholar, because, you know, I don't know, and he always says, you don't know, don't try to pretend you know. You know, I mean, a little bit of Greek would be dangerous. So I don't try to spout out Greek words, but you know, it is nice to have him right there, that type of resource, and of course he studies all the time. But the root meaning of this is balancing the scales. So you know, in teaching third grade, I used to use the scales all the time, and we put the weight in one side, and we put what we're weighing in the other side, and we try to bring them even. And that's what that concept of walking worthy that we're going to see in Colossians is all about. Everything we have in Christ and what he's done for us is on one side of the scale. And then there's our daily walk. Are we striving to bring that together? And that's what this weekend is all about to kind of check and evaluate our own walk and our own life and to see, am I really striving to bring that balance together? Now you may say, okay, Marlene, I don't know if they should have brought you in, because how can we do that on earth? Are you trying to say we're gonna be perfect on earth? No, I'm not trying to say we're gonna be perfect on earth, but I am trying to say that if we don't do God's plan and if we don't or orchestrate our life according to how he wants us to walk, we won't have any kind of target. And you know what it is. If you have no target, you're aiming at whatever you want to aim at. But God has given us clear, explicit instructions of how he wants us to live this life and how we will get the most out of this life, how this life will be to his glory and his honor. And so if we say, hey, I can't, I'll never get close to that. I'm just going to might as well just sit back and no, that's not the attitude. He wants us to strive towards maturity and perfection. And although we won't reach it this side of heaven, he still has called us to do that. And he wants us to get as close as we can get. And he wants us to be able to see what he's called us to do. So walking worthy of the Lord, it's living a life that's consistent with the divine purpose of redemption. It's living a life in the will of God in our daily experiences. The essence is to walk as Christ walked. That's what it is. And so we want to walk in a manner worthy. When we put it all together, it means to live life so that it has the same weight as the Lord. It means that our conduct balances out when it comes to the Lord and when it comes to our great salvation. I love the way that John MacArthur put it. He said, until you walk worthy, God isn't fully glorified. You aren't fully blessed. The church can't fully function and the world can't see Jesus Christ. And of course, we want the world to see Jesus Christ in us. We want to be a people that is all about evangelistic type living. And so one way to approach that is walking worthy. I had my clock upside down, just a minor little issue, but okay, I can see it now. So let's read the passage and see what it's all about, and then we'll break it down a little bit and kind of... Um, look at some of the perspectives here. So we're starting with verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. 
strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now that is a passage, ladies. I mean, all of God's word is rich and wonderful, but how can you not get excited about those words? I mean, that's what I try to pray for myself every day. That's what I try to pray for my kids every day. You know, praying scripture is where it's at. So we can whine and ask the Lord about all kinds of stuff. But if we would go to some of the prayers in scripture and pray the way that the psalmist in some cases or the Apostle Paul or whoever it is, Jesus Christ, um, we want to pray that way and not just about the new job and about the cancer. I mean, all of those things are huge. But the most important things, I believe, are the way that prayers were prayed in Scripture. And so you want to really tap in on them. Paul's prayers were from prison. You know that. And that's unique. Um, it's fun to study about his prayers. And an excellent study would be Arthur Pink. That's a very old book. Gleanings from Paul, the Prayers of the Apostle. But the entire book of Colossians is fabulous. It's practicing. It's in it's practical, I'm sorry, it's encouraging, it's challenging, it's convicting. We're going to look at the reason for Paul's prayer, the character of his prayer, and the content of his prayer. We're going to try to hit those, and then the goals um, of his prayer is where we'll conclude. So I think we'll get through at least the first two points and maybe part of the third one. So for this reason also, and you always, when you see that in Scripture, for this reason, I know that you are students of the Word. I know that just because of your leadership. So I know that you know that if you see therefore or you see something leading into a verse, you don't want to ignore that and just get to the other part of the verse. These words are very significant for this reason. What reason? Why is he wanting to pray for them? Well, if you read verses 1 through 8, you find out. He heard that they were doing well, and he wanted them to be doing even better. Did you know that when you're doing well, you could be doing better? Sometimes just because we're not fighting at our husband, with our husband, you know, we kind of like him that day, and the kids are decent, you know, they're not all locked up in prison or something. We, life is okay, so I just need to step back, and it's just not really that serious, all this praying and everything. Everybody's fine. He's healthy. I'm healthy. My mom's healthy, you know, and we're thinking life is good. Did you realize that when things are in that mellow period, which is not really, I mean, realistically, how often is that where everything is kind of like well, anyway, you just live a few years and you'll realize. But um, sometimes when we feel that, we forget that that is a time when we are most vulnerable, when things are going so well, when we kind of let our guard down spiritually. And so he is praying for the church at Colossae, and he's impressed with some of the things he sees. He, he likes their love in the spirit, which you see in verse 8. He's, he's, he's grateful for their faith in Christ verses four through six. You can read it on your own. It's wonderful, those eight verses. They're a faithful group. They're faithful brethren in Christ. They have a strong love. They have a strong hope. The, the reality of the hope that was laid up for them in heaven is mentioned in verse four. Um, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, these people have it going on. I mean, they're really doing well. So what motivates him to pray? Well, he knows 
not only that they can be doing better, and as we follow through the epistle, we'll see some issues that have to be untangled and, and, and other things there, but their faith, their hope, and love seems to be strong. And we find here that we need to be careful when we relax or let up on our prayers because things appear to be going well. We can follow the Apostle Paul's example, and even if our, the faith of our husband or our, those around us seem strong or things seem okay at church, we want to know that this is a good time to pray. Every time is the right time. Every time is prayer time, right? But especially, I think, we don't want to wait until that desperation thing where we're like a maniac, you know, running on our knees, grabbing, trying to grasp for anything. Right when it's calm, we want to come before the Lord. Well, his prayer had a sense of urgency. We see that phrase, since the day we heard of it. So Paul and Timothy and others, they started praying for them when Epaphras brought back the report, and you find a little bit of that um, leading up to this in verse 8. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. So he comes back and gives a good report, and they are, he is, the Apostle Paul wants to pray for them since the beginning. We need to pray for matters when we hear of them. This, this is very true when ladies begin to start dating. And you know, I always bring up men when I'm talking to women, which is the only people I talk to, women and children, in a teaching environment, because you know, there's no way I'm gonna be like talking to a mixed audience. You do understand that. So anyway, um, but I, I always bring up men because it seems to be such a downfall for women in, in terms of just, getting total brain freeze when it comes to men. I mean, there's a lot of young girls here. I don't know what that means, like if you're still single or hopeful or don't want to go there or, you know, I don't know what, where you are in that whole thing. But I do know that sometimes when it begins, um, the idea of dating or someone comes in your life and an older woman points out something, sometimes some of the young girls get a real attitude. Like the older woman is pointing out some things to be concerned about with the man because Maybe, what, she wants him? I mean, you know, if we follow it to our logical end, we would see that she really loves you and she's trying to help you. She's not trying to ruin your life. But I feel like at the inception of that, it's good to include praying women. When you're faced with these decisions of life, it is good to have a team of people praying for you from the beginning. You just met him. He knows John 3.16. He's been to church twice. So hey, you know, he's got a good job, he's not in jail, so maybe he's somebody I should consider, you know. Maybe, but I would definitely bring in some of the team at that point, like at least one person that loves you and loves the Lord and loves his word to help you. Because when you get that first initial look that you know he thinks you're cute and you think he's cute and it's very, at the beginning, you're so excited. You need help. You need help, girls. You need help. I'm just telling you, because we can't trust ourselves. And that goes for older girls, too. Don't think that just because you're 55 and you're still single that you're not going to lose your mind over a man, because you could. You could, potentially. So I feel like you really need to, from the beginning of whatever it is, so a relationship, you find out you're pregnant, from the very beginning of beginnings, we want to Take it to the Lord in prayer with an urgent attitude. And that's what I see there. Since the day we heard of it, not three weeks later, not five years later, but since the beginning. 
I love Psalm 5, verse 3. In the morning, O Lord, in the morning, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. And I know that verse is talking about the morning, like 6 a.m. morning, but I like to apply that to the mornings in my life, to the beginnings in my life. You know, when you find yourself with a little tickle in your throat, you run and get, what's it called, emergency? I don't have it in my notes. Airborne, some of that stuff. You know, if you take it at the beginning, you have a chance to kind of head off. Well, we need to do that with our life. Sometimes we just wait around. I don't know what we're waiting for. And don't go to the Lord at the beginning. So I just want to challenge you with that concept. And I want to encourage you because the Apostle Paul lays it out there. Since we heard the report, we got on our knees. And so I just want to encourage you to do that. The other thing I see, or one of the other things I see here, is that this prayer incorporated others. He wasn't a lone ranger prayer warrior, but there were other people that were involved in praying with him. So it was him, it was Timothy, it was others. So Paul wasn't strictly just by himself in a closet. And I know sometimes a group like this, maybe after we would finish the session, they would say, Let's, I, I'm not telling you they're going to do this because I have no idea. I think you're playing games, actually. But, you know, sometimes people would be at a table and say, let's have a time of prayer. And there's some people that just immediately just clam up and get, oh, you mean I'm going to have to pray out loud in front of these people? I can't do this. I can't do this. I don't do prayer in a group, you know. Well, just remember and we'll see it in one of the other points. You're not praying to those girls in your group. So no matter how sloppy and pitiful it may sound to you, you're praying to your Father in heaven. And we have to remember that God has called us to, be, to have collective prayer times. And so if you're frozen because you just can't talk in front of somebody else, just remember it's not about them. You're praying to him. And so we shouldn't be, it should be just like if we're praying at home. So if you're one of those ladies that, uh-uh, uh-uh, okay, Marlene, I'm with you on the urgency, I'm with you, but no, uh-uh, I'm not doing a group thing, then I would, I would ask you to really consider how God has called us to pray together and to group ourselves together. It's important. Then he mentions have not ceased to pray. So he didn't just pray once. Like that husband, I remember my dad, I've used so many of his little sermon illustrations because, you know, when you're raised as a PK and... You were from the cradle, and Dad had some good stuff, too. But <laughs> this was one of the things he used to say all the time, and then I would find out, wow, a lot of, a lot of people say that same thing. But he, <laughs> he would say that it's kind of like, not for this passage, but just in general, that, that one-time thing, you know, like, let's say, for example, this was his example, that the man had, you'd been, they'd been married for over 40 years. And he said on the wedding day, I love you. And that should have been enough. He said it once, and what's wrong with her? You know, I mean, she should know that I love you. And us wives, if that was it, if he only said it 40 years ago and he never said it again, we would have a royal attitude, right? I mean, for sure. And he would know that we had an attitude. And yet sometimes our prayer is like that. I prayed in the morning. I don't really need to pray the rest of the day. But it was a, a, he did not cease to pray. So it was consistent. It was regular. It was like 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without ceasing. It was having an attitude of prayer. So I challenge you, ladies, how often are you praying? Is it just in the morning or is it just with the prayer? If you do pray with a prayer group, it's just that when she calls and we pray? Or is it a constant attitude of prayer? 
So it starts from the beginning, it includes others, you don't cease to, and then it's directed to God to pray. Now, I understand in the English we don't see it, but I understand in the Greek there's a real sense of the fact that it's pointing to who the prayer is directed to. So it just says to pray, but it, it is really to God. And you may say, but that's a no-brainer. Who else are we going to pray to? Well, sometimes, you know, we have prayer circles that are good and prayer chains on the phone. And we have to be careful with those because although those are good, we don't want to end up having a gossip chain. Like sometimes we can give too much information, if you know what I mean. We can tell too much, particularly about our own husbands. There has to be a point where I'm not trying to say you don't want people to know he has feet of clay, because of course they know that. But there has to be a point where we have some discretion in what we share under the you know, guise of prayer. I want you to pray about this. Because sometimes we can get on the phone and say, OK, I, want, I have a prayer request. It's Sadie's husband. Girl, you won't believe what he, and you know that you're shifting into another zone. You're not really in the prayerful concern zone, even though you're labeling it that, but it's spreading all of their stuff. And then he did this. Yes, I want you to pray for him, pray for him. But you get where I'm coming from. We have to be careful with that. It's not that we don't want others to pray for us or for us to pretend that somebody's perfect, but we do want to make sure that when we're praying, that we are share, that we're really praying to him. So we can take a prayer request and get enough of an outline of it where we don't have to have every detail going throughout the city of Woodstock. And everybody knows because we're all praying for them, you know? I mean, and isn't it just awful what he, I mean, it, it can get to be a mess. And I always said with 42 years of marriage under my belt, 42 in three or four months, I always said that to me the very worst thing that I would just, would be the nightmare for me of being a wife, would be for something to get back to my husband that I said about him under whatever it was to someone and it comes rolling back to him. And you know it never is the same way you said it. So you might have said it in kind of an innocent sort of way, but I just thought if I would ever hurt him on that level, I just, I don't know what I would do. I, I'd be a mess. So I, that's what helps me to keep my mouth shut. Does the man have things going on? Of course. I mean, you know, I'm not saying he has another wife somewhere or something, but I mean, we all sin and fall short. But I don't need to be the megaphone for his weaknesses to the world. And so I just throw that out to younger brides. Be careful. Be careful. Because it doesn't, even though you may, and what I like to do when I, when I really need to just talk to my big sis about something and it might involve him, I like to just say to my husband, honey, do you mind? I, I want to talk to Bun about, you know, I just want her to help me through this because I, I wanted to share some things, you know, that were, it's awkward, but I mean, hey, at least you get it out there. And then if he's not comfortable with it, then I'm going to have to just be satisfied with going to the Lord on my own because I don't want that coming back. And if you want something to really have a wedge in your marriage, then you let him think he can't trust you with his shortcomings and with things that are going on. This isn't really in my notes, but I mean, I think it's important. And I think we're all girls, we're all here together, and many of you are married. Do you mind raising your hand? You need a little exercise anyway right now. Raise your hand if you're married. Don't be ashamed. Okay, okay, see, a room full of people. And so, it, it's, and I'm not asking if you're happily or if he's saved. I'm not going to go down the line. <laughs> you're married, okay? So that means that you have this commitment. And the Lord doesn't 
qualify, well, if he's, a, if he's a low down, you know, then you can just, no. I mean, we still all have this standard, even if he's not what he's supposed to be. And so I just want to encourage you, especially if you're in one of those marriages, where he is just about as unsaved as he can be, and it breaks your heart. But you have to be that first Peter 3 kind of lady who really sh demonstrates to an unsaved man what it looks like to know Christ. How did we get there? Okay, sometimes you just need to follow your notes. But, um, but I think, I don't know, I think it's really important that we recognize that, you know, we're praying to God and we do include others. And then um, letter E, which will be the final, oh no, there's letter F also, um, but letter E. And again, let me just point this out. You're grown, so I don't need to point this out. But of course, some people hate outlines. They don't like looking at them. It's annoying. They, don't, they just prefer to listen. And if that's you, good. Some people are like, like me. I take notes. And, you know, everybody does it differently. So why do you need, you need my permission? Why would I say that? Well, I don't know. I just thought I would because your notes are out there. And I don't want you to feel like you have to. It's just a record of the points we're going over. So I'm referencing where we're going. But we are now at E. And the point here is that it was an intercessory prayer that he was praying. So for this reason, because of all that in one through eight, since the day we heard of it, the very beginning, we have not ceased to pray for you. We haven't stopped. And to ask that you'll be filled with the knowledge of his will, we'll get into in a minute. But it was intercessory. So he was praying on the behalf of others. Why do I mention that? Because so many of our prayers are for me. It is all about me and my husband and my kids, and you guys are on your own. But this man prayed for you prayers. And what's so significant about his for you prayers? He was doing it from prison, girls. Now, this was not the three square meals you know, that our prisoners get now. This was, if somebody loves you, they'll bring you some food. And if they don't, you'll starve. And you're chained to a smelly guard, and, you're, and there you are. And he's writing for you prayers? I mean, I think if I were, this is, it just, I, it just seems right, you know, to fan at this point. But um, I, if I were in prison like that, do you think I'd be thinking about them? I mean, come on. I think I would be consumed with my lot, especially I'm in there because of Christ. I'm not in there because I murdered somebody. But think about it. He's praying for you prayers when he's in a terrible situation. And oftentimes in life, we're overwhelmed with our own needs. Some single girls, I bring it back. If I just could have a husband, you know, I mean, that's all I want, Lord. It doesn't seem like it'd be that hard, you know. But we, so we're consumed with praying about that, or we're consumed with getting out of college, or we're consumed that our two-year-old is never going to be three, because it seems like they're going to be two for a gazillion years, and they're just going to keep wet. When is he ever going to be potty trained? I mean, there's certain things that we just get on a roll with, and it just seems miserable for us. But we want to... Think about others above ourselves, And we see that in Philippians 2. We want to have the mind of Christ. And that means we think of other people. So Paul in prison was thinking about other people. Reminds me of my sister Bun. I mentioned her. She's physically challenged. She's been in a wheelchair all her life. I already told you that. Osteogenesis imperfecto syndrome. She is about the most for you praying woman I have ever met. So she can have an absolutely miserable day herself. And she is still trying to ask me, how can I pray for you? And not in a phony way, but for real. She really wants to pray, not just for me, but for other people that the Lord has put in her life and in her path. 
And that's an example to me, just like the Apostle Paul, for you. I've not ceased to pray for you. Don't lose those two little words because that may revolutionize your prayer life. And did you know that when you stop having the focus and the spotlight on yourself, that it, your problems kind of shrink and pale in comparison when you start putting some of your effort towards someone else? So even though you have your miserable whatever it is you're going through, when you start thinking about others, it even changes your perspective on your own thing. And so I just encourage you in that area as well. And then finally, his prayer was specific. It wasn't like a little two-year-old that just says, bless everyone, I love everyone everywhere. It's true and it's good, but he had specific things he wanted to pray for them, that he wanted to see in their life. And so I would, um, I would say that to you. Are you specific in your prayers for others and for yourself? Do you have specific goals? Or is it just, bless me, Lord, bless me? But are there certain areas where you need to grow? Are there certain passages that you need to memorize and study? Um, widows, have you thought about how much he cares for you? Sometimes we forget that and we don't pray for widows. I have a really special place in my heart for widows. It's just from the time that I was a little kid, I loved widows. And the reason is because my, my Aunt Susie at the time, who later became my mother-in-law, um, she was, I told you my mom was Lucille Ball. Well, my husband's mom was Ethel, without a doubt, for my mom. I mean, the two of them, thickest thieves, moved from the East Coast, Philly, all the way to LA. My, my husband's parents moved. They were so close that my parents, and you're not going to believe this, but my parents took part of their honeymoon at my husband's parents' house. Now that's like crazy close, right? I mean, they, they lived in New York, my dad was poor, my um, husband's father and my dad went to seminary together before they met our moms. My, mo my mother-in-law was just knocked down, dragged out, however you say it, gorgeous. And yet my dad was a trusted one that my father-in-law had drive my mother-in-law back and forth from Philadelphia College of the Bible. He wouldn't trust any of the other guys but he trusted my dad. And so they were just as close as they could be. So when my father-in-law came to California to plant a church, it wasn't but a few years later that he was instrumental in getting my dad to come to California as well. And so that, I mention all of that because I've watched my mother-in-law and I've seen, she, she's a widow, that was where my whole thing started with, because the Lord took my father-in-law when my father-in-law was 45 and my husband was eight and my mother-in-law was 42. And because my mother and my mother-in-law were so close, they just got even closer. And so she was always my Aunt Susie. But I watched my aunt, and I couldn't wait to call her mom. I know some of you have one of those relationships, I hope not, but with your mother-in-law where you're like, Mom, I can't even think of calling that woman, you know. But with me, I couldn't wait. I just adored her. And she went home to be with the Lord right around the time of my dad. And it was just so devastating to me because we were just so close. But I mention all of that only to just that widow thing. I watched her be a widow and be committed to the Lord to be the kind of widow that we see in scripture that should be cared for, that kind. And I don't know where we lost it with the widows, but your church probably really does some great things if you have widows. But I think we need to remember widows. We really do, and there's specific things that we ask on their behalf, but also on the behalf of all of us. But that's just, um, that's just 
something that James 1.27 tells us, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And also there's a mention of widows. So Paul asked for specific things in the lives of the Colossians. Well, what are they? Well, we're going to rattle off a couple. You are starting to get a little, you might want to kind of move your shoulders around. And do you want to do a couple jumping jacks? You're looking, don't worry, it's not that long. Not that long. But some of you are looking like, okay, are we going to tie a bow on this and call it a night? We are. We are. Keep hope alive. You know, it's coming. Just a couple more little snippets and we are done. So you're almost there, almost to the finish line. Okay. They gave me a lot of time, probably too much. I think I'm going to shorten what they gave me based on what I'm seeing. No, nobody's sleeping. Nobody's sleeping, but some of you are definitely looking like it could be right around the corner. So I will help you out by cutting it. But let's look just briefly at this idea of spiritual intelligence. It's already Roman numeral three, um, the content of Paul's prayer. So he prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Wow, what a thing to pray for somebody, that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. And these are the people that have a healthy love, a healthy hope, but he's still praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So he is praying that they will be filled. And this is the request. It's not enough just to pray for someone else, but we have to be specific. Believers cannot fill themselves, nor be filled by other saints. It's a passive voice of the verb that they might be filled, and it means to fill out to completion. It means completely filled or totally controlled by knowledge, fully equipped. And he got this imagery, I think, from ships that were ready to take off, and they had everything they needed for voyage. And the believer has all that he needs for the voyage of life, through the full knowledge of God's will. And sometimes we don't want to hear about God's will. We just want our will. Has that ever been you or someone that you've known? You see what God's will is in the pages of scripture, but really right now you're not that interested in that. You're interested in your will. And so many times we will pray prayers and then at the end of it, we'll say in Jesus name or your will be done. But we know we don't want his will to be done. We, if, when we're really honest about it, we want our will to be done. And I read of, uh, of a lady in, in one of my, um, I love to read, but just listen to this. This is about, um, a friend of mine wrote this. Today is Rebecca's wedding in her book, Choices That Lead to Godliness, a day she looked forward to since she first tried on her mother's wedding dress when she was eight years old. Now she's wearing that same heirloom gown with baby's breath, tender pink roses, crowning her lace veil, she could have had a reception in this room with all the flowers and everything. She's clutching her bouquet and she silently prays to the Lord, Lord, I can hardly believe it's my wedding day. I know I haven't spent too much time with you lately. And I know that, you know, I've been rushing around trying to get ready. And, and I know that, and I'm skipping because, you know, you're looking tired. Um, but, and, and I know that my fiance doesn't, he comes to church every now and then and she continues on, but she ends the prayer by, she, she says that she knows that, um, that he hasn't been at church often and stuff like that, and, but she thinks he's kind of leaning towards salvation and so forth. She's at the end of the aisle, ladies, about to walk down. But if you strip all of her pious language, this is what she's probably praying. Dear Father, I don't want to disobey you, but I really do want to marry Joe. Please don't get me wrong. I do love you, 
but this is so important to me and I want it my way. Deep down, I know you know what's best for me and I know that you don't like this, but please show your blessings by not interfering. Please bless the decision I've made and help me have a good time today, Lord. In your name, amen. And one of the many things lacking in Rebecca's prayer is the ability, the ability to discern God's will from her will. And that happens to be things that we do. You may never do that and say, oh, that's so ridiculous. I would never be at the end of my wedding. And with somebody that, oh, please, Marlene, I'm so past that. But we do that in so many areas of our life. We see God's will clear and plain, but we don't want to choose it. And so I would ask you, as you evaluate your life for this weekend and this passage, go to the Lord with that and just ask him to help you see, are there things where I'm not really praying for your will because I want my will to be done instead of your will? Knowledge is huge in the Apostle Paul's life, and we're going to be ending, just so you know, with this point, <laughs> so that you can see that there's light at the end of the tunnel. So we see knowledge is his central theme, and so he wants them to be filled with the knowledge of his will. And so 1 Corinthians 1, 4, and 5 tells us, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Ephesians 1, 17 through 19, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Just situations in scripture where we see knowledge. The denial of absolutes, says John MacArthur, particularly in the area of morals, characterizes our society. Without a source of authority to provide absolute standards, virtually anything goes, and we certainly know that. All we have to do is just turn on the TV and watch the news. And what moral values are enforced are often arbitrary based merely on human opinion. But for the Christian, the authoritative word of God provides absolutes. Those absolutes are the basis upon which all knowledge and truth about God and standards of faith and conduct are set. That's why he's asking that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, because knowledge of those absolutes is the basis for correct behavior and ultimate judgment. It is crucial that Christians know God's revealed truth. Ignorance is not bliss, nor can anyone please God on the basis of principles they do not know. And so when you go to a Bible church, sometimes people are thinking, why does our pastor teach us like we're in seminary? I mean, just tell us to love everybody. Is it really, does it have to be that deep? I mean, do we have to really go that? Yes, we do. We do. And that's why I applaud you for being in a church where that's done. Because that loosey-goosey little, let's just talk about holding hands and walking through the tulips, that's not going to be what's going to get us through those tough times and where we're going to be able to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It's going to take the knowledge of his will. So if you weren't in a, a good church right now, I would probably recommend faith community, you know, so that you could have a good, solid church. Because it's too dangerous to be floating around there listening to a bunch of flowery-sounding words. And a lot of men are great orators, a lot of pastors, and they, you know, you see these TV, I don't know if you guys have the same TV channels we do, but I mean, there's people who are there that, whoo, you just wonder how in the world do they have 80,000 people sitting there listening to that? Oh, listen, girls. <laughs> That's my warning that I have like a couple minutes to, she gave me longer, but I'm not, don't worry, I'm not gonna do it. 
I'm not going to do it. Don't worry. That tells me, tie a bow, we're done. So anyway, be careful um, with that idea of just, I can go anywhere, I can do anything, because the knowledge of God's will is huge. And I would say, I would even go this far, I would thank the Lord often that you are in an, are in an environment where you can trust the fact that you are getting the knowledge of God's will. And you can be a Berean and go back and search the scripture on your own, which you should do, and you will see that it lines up. And it's so critical, and Paul prayed that for them, that they would know the knowledge of God's will. And I'm going to close with this thought of the knowledge of God's will, um, just with looking at a couple of verses, and then... Um, just making a couple comments and then we're gonna have prayer. So 1 Thessalonians 5.18 is one of those places where we see in everything give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So being a thankful people, that's one area where we see God's will. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality. There's God's will. People are like, I just don't know God's will. I don't know what he wants. I mean, there's so much in scripture that's just straight up, there's no doubt about it, and we're struggling to do the things that we see on the pages of Scripture that are his will. 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be bound together with unbelievers. Now this is talking more of a, um, when it comes to business and so forth, but certainly we can apply that to marriage. And yet many girls, like I said, John 3.16, been to church two, three times, handsome, has a nice car, even owns property, you know. And so there you have it. <laughs> he must be the man for me. So the knowledge of God's will. Don't confuse your will with God's will, like Rebecca did in that wedding. She wanted that man to be her husband, whether it was God's will or not. And we don't want to be guilty of that in any area of our life. Tomorrow we're going to pick up with the fact that wisdom and understanding go with knowledge. Because you have a lot of brainiac Christians who know the knowledge of God's will and even are boastful. I go to such a godly church. We are taught the knowledge of God's will. And yet you, you follow them home and you're like, what, really? It's the applying it, the wisdom. And so he has something to say about that. And we're going to talk about that tomorrow. So a lot of steps people walk in a day. But how are those steps when it comes to the word of God? And we look at it from a spiritual perspective. Are we striving to walk worthy of him? Well, the Apostle Paul has given us much to think about. For this reason, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. And that's my prayer for every lady here, that we will be consistent in our prayer life, but that we will be praying for each other and for ourselves, that we are filled with the knowledge of God's will. And then tomorrow, we'll talk, as I said, about the rest of the passage and see what God has to say about wisdom and understanding and how that fits in with walking worthy to please him in every area and respect of our life. You did good, ladies. Looking good. You kind of have a surge of when I said we were almost done. It's like, oh, people kind of perked up. So anyway, um, so let's close in prayer. And then I'll hand it back to the big bosses, not big in size, but in stature, <laughs> so they can tell us what's next. Lord, we thank you so much for the clarity of your word. We thank you for how precise it is. We thank you for the Apostle Paul and that these words touch our lives so many years after he wrote them. 
And although he's writing them to the church at Colossae, we know that there is direct application for us, Father, as we learn so much about our own prayer life and how we can seek to please you and honor you with our worthy walk. Thank you for every lady that's here tonight, Lord. We don't know what the burdens are on their heart. We don't know exactly what they're going through, but you do. And so, Father, I just pray that even the time that they will spend together at the tables or through fellowship or whatever's next, that it will be a time that honors you and gives you glory. May we meditate on your word, Father. May we reflect upon it. And may it convict us in those areas, particularly in our prayer life, that are not pleasing to you. Help us to have sweet fellowship tonight, Lord. And please return us back tomorrow so we can continue on. In your precious name we pray. Amen.